You're listening to another podcast from I'dRatherBeWriting.com. My name is Tom Johnson, and today I'm speaking with Arnaud Laray, who recently wrote a book called The Design of Web APIs, uh, which is a great book that dives really deeply into usability with APIs and even covers a lot of uh, points about documentation. So, uh, Arnaud, uh, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Um, actually, let me know first if I'm even pronouncing your name correctly, and just tell me a little bit about your book as well. Yes, yes, you you pronounce it almost correctly. Uh, so my name is Arnaud Loret with with a French accent. Uh, I'm an API architect in a, in a French banking group. Uh, my daily job is to uh, helping people, developers, but also uh, business and executive to do things around APIs. Uh, I also blog uh, as the API handyman. I studied that in 2015, I think. And so two years ago, I started to write this book, The Design of Web APIs. I basically wrote it for my old self to uh, avoid uh, falling in, uh, into many traps. Uh, and I really wanted to write a book that teaches principles. So, in my opinion, you can read the book. So, it's mostly REST API oriented. But if you understand the principles, if you do gRPC or GraphQL or even SOAP and whatever will come in the future, uh, you can still use the principles that are in that book. And the focus of, of a lot of the book is on usability. And before kind of diving into this, I'm wondering if you can just give us a general description of what usability is and specifically how usability might be the same or different with APIs versus like an end user application with a with a GUI. Uh, my definition of usability, I'm, I'm not a usability expert uh, in general, but I would say that when something is usable, it's easy to understand and easy to use. That's it. And basically, I think there are not so much difference uh, between uh, usability in UI and usability in API. Of course, there are not exactly the same thing, but in, in both worlds, people should be able to understand what they have to do and how to do it easily because the design is crystal clear and consistent with past experiences. And also when you use an UI or an API, when you have to do something, it must really require minimal uh, action from the user or the consumer. Um, and I think so, yes, maybe there is a little difference uh, in the sense that uh, an API is a kind of uh, a set of functions, operations, or whatever, let's say, let's call them ingredients. And with all these ingredients, maybe you can do a basic recipe that the documentation would describe, but once you have learned to do that, you can do your own recipe. And that is not something that you can do with a UI, I think, but so it's both the same, but not exactly. Hmm. I, that's a good point. Uh, I like that, that that distinction about how with an API, you sort of can create your own 
recipes, whereas with a, a UI, you're locked into the workflows that have been specced out. Uh, all right. Now, I, I really liked the section on documentation, and there was one one line here that really caught my attention in your book. You said, exhaustively documenting APIs has a nice side effect. It is testing the design. If you're unable to document how to use the API or how to implement it, it can be a sign of improper design. Um, can you expand a bit on how writing documentation tests the usability of a product, or especially an API? Um, so ba basically, when you write documentation for an API, uh, there, there are two types of documentation. There is the reference documentation, which describes uh, what I called earlier the ingredients. And there is the uh, user manual or use case-oriented documentation, which describes what you can do with the API. And basically, it's uh, I think that when you uh, create the uh, use case-oriented documentation, you are able to find the gaps. Uh, you are able to feel if the API is uh, awkward, complicated to use. Uh, you may, for example, discover that if you want to change different API codes, uh, you, you may need some parameters that cannot be found anywhere because they are supposed to be provided by a previous code, but they, they miss in the design. So it's, I think that it's mostly when you write this use case oriented uh, documentation that you can uh, really feel if the design is good or not. And also maybe when you look at the, uh, when you work on the reference documentation, when you describe each operation, the parameters, uh, responses, and so on, uh, here you can see if the API is uh, consistent. Because I think that consistency is also a, a huge matter in documentation. So maybe you can see that, oh, there is uh, this, uh, this data, which may be something like a, a customer number, which has different names across the API, and this, this is not normal. So it's basically, it seems that it's basically because uh, people who write documentation are, are, are the first users uh, of, the, uh, of the API that because they, they can see that. Yeah. And and I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, if you have a lot of knowledge about about how to design APIs and these people who are, you know, putting together APIs from scratch and they're, they really have a lot of experience, why can't they foresee all these usability problems kind of ahead of oh, time? Oh, they, uh, they, 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 must, they must see that. But um, it's, it's really hard... Uh, to see, to detect this problem alone. Mm. Even if you are a very good designer, you always need uh, help from someone else. You need a third party to look at your design and see if everything is okay. But in the book, I describe very simple methods to, uh, to, to detect the gaps, uh, for example, parameters that can be provided by consumers and so on. But sometimes you are so much focused on designing the API and maybe having uh, uh, planning schedule constraints and so on that you always need 
someone else to look at what you have done to see, hey, uh, I don't understand everything, anything, or uh, there is something which needs to be changed to make it clearer and so on. And it's like when I when I wrote the book, uh, there have been some reviews, I had some feedback from some, some people, and there were things that I thought were uh, pretty clear, pretty simple, and they revealed to be hopefully complex and people do not understand them. And that's it. It's like when you create anything, you, you, need, uh, you need someone else to provide you something back and maybe challenge you to be sure that your design is, is okay. But for, uh, especially for internal APIs, uh, basically, uh, if people detect many problems in the documentation, that when writing the documentation, it's really because people who make the design really don't care about usability. Hmm. You know, I, I find this, this topic fascinating because I, I work with a lot of APIs and I've also done a lot of just end user documentation or even just uh, user interface documentation for developer tools. And when you're documenting a user interface, it's really easy to to note when things are overly complex or confusing. I mean, buttons have clear labels, uh, workflows might be really cumbersome. But when you switch over to the API space, it's more intimidating for a technical writer to really dive in and say, yes, this is uh, well-designed versus no, this is poorly designed. Um, I'm wondering, maybe you could uh, describe a few things. You already mentioned this uh, uh, already, like with parameters and consistency, but maybe you could go into more depth. What should a technical writer really be looking for uh, with an API to evaluate and critique its sort of usability? I think they can, if they are used to document uh, UI, they, they can take advantage of our experience because you talk about labels. Uh, every name in an API should be understood at first sight uh, because it's crystal clear or because in a context in which it is used, people can understand it. Uh, you talk about, uh, about flows, uh, how uh, people can go from one screen to another, having to uh, provide data in input fields and so on. It's the same with APIs. You have to chain API calls to achieve what you want to do. And if these API, API calls chains are too complex, too long, uh, there, there is a problem. Either uh, if they also... Uh, I, I hate when I have to, uh, to fill a form when there are many, many, many parameters. It's the same for APIs. If an API call requests too much parameters, there may be a problem. Maybe some of them, if not most of them, uh, can be uh, uh, computed by uh, the implementation, and um, maybe some of them can be made optional, just like when you create a form, a web form. And there are also uh, errors uh, that should be checked, so because uh, this is the most difficult part of API design. It's designing errors. And be 
exhaustive when uh, thinking about errors. If, if you provide um, a UI, let's say a mobile application, and when the users say, uh, do, do, uh, do something wrong, there is just a red warning saying, hey, you have done something wrong. Okay? So, what did I do? It's the same for APIs. When, when in the design, you should be sure that all possible errors are described, and so you, they can be described in the documentation. So basically, it's, it's like UI. You have to take care about names, workflows, errors, and I think that's it. That, that, that's great advice. I, I really like that. And especially the, the errors part. I think that's often sort of neglected from documentation or from, uh, I don't know, demos, right? Because people want to show yeah. the, a happy path and when things are working. Yes, um, yes. When it comes to names, you mentioned uh, in your in your book about um, an API style, style book site that you have um, where you've collected a lot of style and design guides for APIs. And this is actually something I think a lot of uh, a lot of technical writers are not aware of. At least I actually didn't know that that API design guides were very common. You have about 15 of them or so. Um, can you talk a little bit about what an API design style guide contains and why it might be important uh, in terms of the consistency and other naming conventions? Uh, so, an API design style guide is, I think, maybe like any other style guide. Its purpose is to ensure that everyone within an organization goes into the same direction and do, the, do things the same way uh, in order to have APIs which will be uh, consistent and so easier to use because once you have learned to uh, use an API within an organization and you switch to the next one, if it looks the same, it will be easy to use. So what's, what to put inside uh, an API uh, design guidelines? There are, there are, there are different levels. Uh, the first level, you have to put in that guideline, uh, in, in this guideline, you have to put all your design rules. And that includes uh, for if we talk about REST APIs, um, uh, which HTTP method you authorize, which HTTP status codes, how your uh, paths are structured, uh, how you deal with uh, uh, security. Um, it's all these basic rules. And, but these rules are kind of, again, ingredients. And sometimes for especially for uh, beginners, uh, having to scan to, through all these rules can be complex. So I recommend to add another layer, which is uh, a use case-oriented design style guide. And I, I did that for my company. And in this section, we have very basic things like, OK, I want to read something. How, how, how should I do that? And then there is a web page which explains everything and then points to the specific rules which are used. So it, it's like when you, uh, when you document an API, you have these two levels. You have the reference documentation, which describes all the ingredients, and you have 
the use case oriented documentation. Uh, I um I was trying to find uh, as I was browsing some of the design guides on your API stylebook site. Um, I was trying to find like the best one that I could read through because I. I I tried looking in my organization for one, and I couldn't find uh, one of any substance uh, that I really liked. Is there any particular uh, design guide that you think uh, stands above the others? Yeah, uh, I, I really need to to update the API Storybook because I started this maybe more than two years ago, and I didn't work on it as I was writing on the book. So I, I think that. On the 15, there is one or two of them or who, who do not exist anymore. Uh, but I, I, so I, I, I took a look uh, before before we, di we did this podcast, and I think that the Microsoft and the uh, Zalando one are good. But now with uh, my experience, I gained in the last... Uh, two years, I think they are just good. But they lack, I need to read them, but it seems that they lack the use case part. They are very good to describe the rules, and the rules they are using are pretty standard. But I think that these kind of style guides are quite uh, scary for beginners. They can be, they can be lost. Uh, by uh, having to read all of these rules, so I really think that uh, I will, when I will update the API stylebook, I, I, I will uh, define a few things that people need to include in their guidelines, and, and I will say, okay, this guideline check tick all the all the other rules or not to help people find uh, find good good standards. Well, I think that's a great starting point for kind of digging into usability with an API because it, at least it would give a technical writer some concrete sort of guidelines to check APIs against. And yeah. one guideline that I liked in your in your that you described in your book was that uh, a common convention in endpoints is to put the resources as as a plural and then the last path as like a singular, um, yeah. and things like that. Uh, can can help and and also the casing you know is it camel cases yeah. uh, exactly. other casing conventions because um, I th those are the probably the easiest sort of things to detect right uh, and then you had a lot of great information about you know checking the the responses and 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 just making sure that from one API to the next things have um, so yeah. they're they're named similarly in the response and they have units that that match what the users need. So I found that really helpful. Now, here's a yeah. question though, um, and this is this gets to more of the tech writer's conundrum. Let's say that you're documenting an API. It's uh, slated to be released in two months, and you start to note a few problems with consistency and names just aren't intuitive and. And so let's say you raise objections and you say, you know what, uh, I, I think this this API needs some help in these areas. The tech writers often too far downstream to really influence change. A lot of times the project team will say, uh, sorry, we're kind of already 
we've already finalized the design. Everything's just being tested now. Documentation doesn't get looped in until things are kind of ready to be put down in writing. Uh, how do you how do you influence design when you're so far downstream? Uh, well, for for the current API you are working on, uh, unfortunately, it's probably too late. Especially if people say, okay, we have code everything, we have tested everything, and we are we are already in production. So, well, it's too late. Sorry, guys. Uh, but if that happens, uh, the people, tech writers, should list all the problems and say, okay, here are all the problems I have detected during uh, while writing the documentation, and too late, so all these problems actually need to be solved. And if it can be done on the current version, well, okay, but uh, in my opinion, it's a problem, but could we at least for the next time include the tech writer earlier in the process? So I can, I think that tech writers are, uh, can be useful on early design phase. They can work on on early pre-version of uh, use case-oriented documentation and just look at the design and give it feedback. And But there, there is no, the only thing that can be done is, um, is working earlier. If, if tech writers still work uh, a few hours or a few days before uh, everything goes into production, it's too late. Unfortunately, so the only thing to do is to uh, go into uh, go up to the stream and work earlier. Yeah, yeah, and that that digs into more issues. I don't know if I want to go in that direction right now, but like moving earlier in the design is definitely a direction a lot of tech writers enjoy. They want to they want to fix problems rather than just apply band aids and documentation. Uh, the the problem really is that most organizations won't recognize technical writers as uh, design influencers uh, and so they never really allocate the bandwidth for that it's like like uh, to move up early in the design you have to somehow clear off a bunch of other other projects on your plate in order to have that bandwidth and it's it's really difficult but but there's also yeah. you have a whole oh go ahead Yes, uh, so I've never worked in an organization having technical writers, but it, it feels like, okay, we, we are building something which will be used by someone, and let's really take care about uh, not listening to people who are using our product. Sounds like that, because technical writers are the first users, so it, it seems incredible that people don't want to listen to them. I, I don't. I, I know that it, the, the, uh, what I say cannot change things, but it's it's it seems really uh, incredible to me that uh, people think like that. Yeah. Well, it's also like like I said earlier, the API space is a little more intimidating for technical writers to have more solid usability criticisms. So um, I think, and there's always like future iterations of things, right? But you have a whole section on versioning, which I found 
quite fascinating uh, um, just how how people iterate on the next version without breaking the current version seems like a really challenge really challenging yeah. problem yeah uh, but uh, w- one other thing that I wanted to uh, ask you about is conventions with names. Let's say that the style guide or the design guide doesn't really tell you what things should be called, um, and in the documentation you wanna you wanna use standard conventions. Um, it seems like we're still in a wild west days of what to call everything. Uh, for example, endpoints. Um, does oh. this refer to the whole sort of uh, package of, of of a request and the response and everything, or is it just the the path? Uh, I've seen this labeled so many different ways in documentation. Sometimes not referenced at all. Um, what, what would you call yeah. uh, that that item? Uh, uh, I call so. Uh, unfortunately, it seems that there is no there is no standard about naming in VPI space. So, uh, in my opinion, an API is a set of operations. An operation is uh, a couple, uh, two, two, two member sets, so it's composed of an HTTP method and a path. And when people talk about endpoints, I never know if they talk about path or operation or API, because sometimes people uh, uh, think an operation is an API. So unfortunately, there is no standard. Some some people call the operation what I call operation. They call it uh, root or road or controller. Sometimes um, I think it it depends on the uh, it may depends on the background of uh, of the people. Maybe uh, what kind of uh, programming language we are using and so on. But whatever, I, I've, that's why uh, I think that when you document an API, you have to set uh, to describe what is your vocabulary at the uh, in the uh, very first readme or whatever it code. You say, okay, our API is composed of several operations, and we do this and do that and so on, just to help uh, keep things uh, smoothly, but uh, yes, no no standards, and personally, I do not use endpoints. Hmm. It's interesting. I, I, I teach these API documentation workshops, and, and I'll often go over reference material and say that, <coughs> sorry, I'll say, hey, every, make sure your reference topic has uh, a resource description, a method, a sample request, parameters, and a response with a schema. And then I'll say, now go and go and look at several doc sites and try to identify these sections. And the people are blown away by the fact that like they're not named that way. They're all different. They're organized in, in however they want. Um, it, it does seem like there's some lack of standards. I'm wondering, um, do you think the open API specification is the way to go in terms of documenting an API, especially because it's going to standardize a lot of the, the approach? Uh, yes, yes. It, it gives a frame to, uh, to describe an API, so it helps you to avoid forgetting uh, describing a few things. Uh, 
Uh, it may help also to uh, standardize uh, vocabulary because, for example, the operation I was talking about comes directly from the Open API specification. And uh, it's, it's a standard for reference documentation when you want to describe all your API features, uh, the path, the operations, uh, the data models, and so on. But uh, it can be, it may be complicated sometimes to use it for uh, use case-oriented documentation uh, because I think it's not it's not made for that. Uh, and I and I don't know if there are any standard tool that can be used to do that, to describe, okay, if you want to do this, you have to call, uh, to make this API call, take this data, and use them to for this other API call, and so on, and so on. And I don't think there is a standard for that. So what, what I usually say to the people I'm working with uh, is, if you work on a private API, take advantage of the Open API specification, even for use case-oriented documentation, because for internal APIs, we do not have, we usually do not have a fancy uh, API developer portal, and all we have is sometimes some kind of Swagger UI or Redoc, and that's it. And if you work on a public API, you have to take advantage of the open API specification for the reference documentation, but you will probably have to make something uh, more custom for the use case oriented documentation. Yeah, I, I, I like your call outs to the use case documentation because it seems like most technical writers really end up um, writing that kind of content, uh, how to actually use the API. A lot of times the reference stocks uh, are, are supplied by engineers through the open API spec. It's great when they just produce this. Um, but I, I feel like when I when I browse API doc sites, I don't see I don't see that many tutorials and use case explanations. A lot of times the docs are just like here are the reference um, here's the reference for all the different paths we support, and uh, maybe they'll show a brief sample, but like pretty much people are on their own. Do you think that, um, am I wrong here? Are tutorials uh, and, and use case use cases often scarce in documentation? Well, I, I don't know if they are often scarce because I did not make some studies to check all API developer portals, but sometimes, yes, uh, some APIs really lack uh, use case oriented documentation and uh, but I, I've been to uh, many API conference and most of them have uh, some kind of developer experience track and every single person who come on stage and talk about API developer portal will say you have to provide use, use case oriented documentation or maybe we probably not say exactly like that but this is what they will say, because reference documentation is clearly not enough, even if the API is totally simple. But maybe it's because uh, the people who are working on the API are not yet aware of 
uh, developer experience and how it is important to get users and maybe there are too much focus on uh, the uh, implementation of the API and uh, less on the uh, how the users will actually use it, use it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm thinking about projects and uh, I'm currently working on that totally need this kind of use case documentation. And, and it's, um, you're, I think you're spot on when you say that a lot of times when people develop the reference documentation or the reference uh, content for an API, they're not exactly sure how they're going to be implemented. Like developers may not actually know what the what the workflows are in actual use cases, especially if those use cases can vary a lot. Um, I, I want to ask a couple of other questions. This is something that always comes up uh, in tech writer discussions. Um, you, we've been talking about the reference material, which you can generate through many different tools that can read the open API or if you just manually do it. Uh, and then the use case and tutorial documentation. These are often separate outputs, especially if you're using the OpenAPI spec. Uh, how do, do you think that that uh, these two formats should be more seamlessly interwoven and combined, or do you see do you find that having the reference as a standalone output in its own like its own sort of site uh, as a companion to a user guide? site is acceptable? Uh, well, I think that <coughs> the, the, reference, the reference documentation is the minimal documentation. If you have to, if you don't have enough time to produce documentation, this, this is the minimal one. But for the use case documentation, I, I think it should be, I think the reference documentation should be the most independent possible from the use case documentation and that it should be the use case documentation that makes reference to the uh, uh, to the uh, reference documentation um, and uh, I hope that one day someone will come with a wonderful idea to standardize uh, how to build use case documentation with an open API use case documentation uh, specification, for example. Uh, but I, I don't know if it, it will be possible. Um, because it yeah. seems that these two kind of documentation are maybe not made by the same people. So when you have two different uh, teams who are working on the same thing, it's becomes things can be complicated. Uh, so it, it's maybe easier to separate them clearly. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, you mentioned a couple of tools in your book uh, when you're working with the open API specification, ones that you, you seem to prefer. You mentioned a um, that you at least when you're writing the book, use Visual Code Studio with two extensions, one called Swagger Viewer, another called OpenAPI Lint. Uh, and you also mentioned Redocly as an output framework. I'm wondering if you still have that same setup or if you recommend anything different? Uh, 
so I, it depends on who you are. Uh, so I usually, personally, I usually still like to use Visual Studio Code uh, with some kind of plugins. Uh, if you like to write uh, Open API spec, but you don't want to install anything, you can use the online editor, uh, which is hosted by uh, Swagger. But if you are really scared uh, about writing Open API specification, and I work with people who really uh, don't like it, I usually recommend them to use a Stoplight Studio. Uh, which is a, 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 a graphical user interface which helps you design your API and under the hood uh, generate an open API specification file. Regarding the rendering, I, I use, I prefer to use Swagger UI when I do an API design review because I have a better view of all paths and HTTP methods and everything. But when it comes to provide documentation for a user, I, I prefer to promote uh, Redoc. Cool, cool. You mentioned Stoplight and, and how it provides a, a graphical user interface for designing the, the uh, spec. I'm kind of wondering, do you think that, like, I don't know, a few years from now, uh, manually editing the spec in these editors, which can be very tedious and error-prone, especially if you're unfamiliar with the syntax. Do you think that manual approach uh, or code-based approach is going to be somewhat antiquated, outdated, or not? I think again, it will depend on who, who, who do the design. Uh, because People who design APIs may have various profiles, uh, may have different backgrounds. So I think we will still have both. And even even if uh, Stoplight Studio is uh, <clears throat> sorry, it's quite uh, interesting. Sometimes you you can do things faster by modifying the code, by just copy pasting a huge block, by doing things like that. But 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 if those GUIs uh, become better. I think we'll use them more and do less code, but I think there, there will still be people who, uh, who prefer to, to write code. You've got a really interesting tool on your site called the OpenAPI Map, um, which has a very very uh, interactive way of viewing the hierarchy of the OpenAPI spec. Um, and having tried to document a schema at, at my work for something, I have a lot of respect for uh, the approach you've taken because it can be very difficult to describe all the hierarchies and the different yeah. formats and structures. I'm kind of wondering, what's been the response of that OpenAPI map tool and, and is it something you still uh, like work on and support? Uh, yes, now that I have finished the book, I will, I will update it. Uh, but ba basically, I, I started this project because uh, at that time, I, I was working a lot with uh, the uh, Swagger 2 format. I was writing a tutorial, I was writing files, and I was lost in the specification. It's, 
It's uh, a huge markdown document. You have every uh, every object is described, but you don't have the hierarchy. And really, not having a full view of a hierarchy is is a huge problem with this kind of document. So it's it's basically for that. Uh, I've I had some feedback of a, a few people who said that that tool uh, literally saved their life, uh, but I. I didn't check the, uh, the analytics to see if there are so many people who use it. Uh, but at, at least when people talk about it, they say, hey, I, I really like it, so I'm, I'm quite happy, happy with that. Um, while we're talking about the Open API, I have a couple of other questions. Um, when I browse some Sites, uh, it's clear that they they don't use OpenAPI, or at least they don't seem to, um, and and others do. For example, Stripe seems to be held up as a very uh, good example of API doc site, but I don't get the sense that they have OpenAPI uh, under the hood for how they're rendering things out. I could be totally wrong, but um, do you can you comment on whether you think um, like in what situations my OpenAPI not be a good fit or not be the right choice? Well, I, I think that every API provider should provide an open API specification because some users may be interested in having it. Not all of them, but some. And if they want to please all their users, they should provide it. But if the provider have enough documentation, uh, usually provide SDKs. Uh, Sometimes maybe the open API specification may do not have any interest. Uh, but for people like me and others who like to uh, uh, automatically, automatically check an API design and find information, not having an open API specification is a burden, but I, to be frank, I think that most users don't care about it. If the documentation is okay and if there are SDKs, they don't care about the open API specification. But if under but under the hood, even if you don't provide it publicly, I think that most people must have. Open API specification uh, internally, at least to track the design, how it evolves, and and so on. If they don't use the Open API specification, they may use another format. But uh, I think it's really important to have a formal description of your API, uh, just to be sure that you don't mess and uh, do some breaking changes uh, and so on. Yeah. I I actually was browsing uh, the New York Times API, and I noticed they had a huge button right in their developer docs that said "Download Spec," and it seems like wow, that it sort of caught my attention because I'm like, this might be becoming, this might be a sort of evolving standard in in docs to provide that that spec file. I, I was kind of wondering what they imagined I would or users would would do with that you know like wouldn't the documentation itself just render that spec you know what am i going to do with it beyond yeah. beyond just yeah, the, you 
the open API specification uh, started when, when it starts with Sogar 2 and so on, it was basically to generate documentation, but it can be used in every step of the API lifecycle. And for example, you can use it to configure an API gateway. So let's say that, okay, I'm a Stripe customer. I want to use the Stripe API. And uh, I want that in my company, we have a single Stripe account for the company. And I want to be sure that uh, nobody can get the credentials, nobody can use the Stripe API too much and so on. So let's use our API gateway as the reverse gateway to expose the Stripe API on it and add some security and, and throttling stuff and so on. With that an open API specification, it's quite complex to do that because to usually to expose an API on, on, uh, on an API gateway, you can use an open API specification. So that, that can be interesting uh, even if for an API provider, even if you provide very, very good documentation, uh, very good SDKs and so on. In some contexts, people will really need to have a formal description, a standard description of your API. Interesting. I actually didn't really know much about that. Okay. So, and I've seen some, on some sites like Rapid API, they have a lot of other APIs from different providers. And so you're saying that, that, uh, that like a lot of times people yeah, yeah. want. I, I, I think that uh, probably Rapid API takes advantage of uh, the open API spec or another description because it's, it's a huge API marketplace. And uh, they, they cannot afford to have uh, different ways of uh, documenting API and having the open API specification, an API provider uh, provide the file to rapid API and they can expose it on their marketplace. I, I don't know if, if they do it exactly that way, but I think this is probably how, how they do it. And this is, Another example of why an open API specification can be uh, interesting. Um, one related question here while we're talking about like different approaches to APIs. Uh, is there other APIs that you think uh, are ones we should look at as model APIs, doc sites uh, especially? Uh, I guess those two aren't necessarily the same. Maybe the API is great, but the doc is poor, but usually like a good API and a good doc site go together. Are there any really good examples that you would recommend people yeah, learn yeah. from? So uh, I'm used to uh, talk about Stripe and Twilio, uh, but I, I really need to find new ones because uh, Stripe, Stripe uh, is becoming complex. They are providing many, many different services, and now when you look at all you can do with the Stripe APIs or the different Stripe APIs, should I say, it can be scary for beginners just to understand, okay, what is an API, how we can do things with it. Uh, Twilio is still interesting, and uh, I, I like to talk about them because to, to explain how far can a company go into the uh, developer experience thing, because we have created a video game to teach people how to use their API. 
But when it comes to, okay, I just want to uh, uh, discover an API, use it simply, and so on, I, I work in the financial industry, and I have tested the, uh, the DBS uh, API portal and APIs. DBS is a, is a bank from uh, Southeast Asia. I don't remember the country. I think it's Singapore. Uh, and, okay, uh, a banking API is not that fun, but at least you can register on the portal in a few seconds and make your first API call within the documentation in less than one minute. And it shows you uh, how to handle authentication and, and really fast. Maybe the design is not uh, also, maybe the functionality are not uh, as fun as, as uh, things you can do with Twilio, but it's really a solid API uh, portal and it's a good example of how to provide a really good developer experience without being too fancy. Interesting. So, so uh, I'll try to get the link for that and add it to the show notes here. You said DBS. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. Okay. And one of the uh, one of the characteristics you described there in your answer is is the getting started tutorial, uh, the ability to make a call within a minute or so and and get a response. Would you say that's kind of a a way to take a pulse about whether the documentation for the API is on track, if they have that a good getting started tutorial like that? <coughs> so yeah, the, if, if an API provider succeeds to create a tutorial which uh, helps users achieve their first time uh, to Hello World in less than a minute, yes, that, that's, that's good. Um, and basically every every tutorial should be able to make you do things in less than a minute, at least the, the, the one for the beginners. Yeah, well, I've asked a ton of questions here, um, Arno, uh, and I just want to kind of repeat the book name in case people want to read more. It's called The Design of Web APIs, and I'll add a link in the show notes, but you can get it from Manning Books um, or Manning Publications, uh, and I read it. I read the Kindle version. I, I prefer to read on Kindle, but you can get it in. Uh, let's see, you've got various options. You've got PDF, EPUB, Kindle, and Live Book, or like a web version. Do you want to say anything more about how people can get the yes. design of web APIs? Yes, yes, they can also get a printed book. A good old printed book. Uh, I think it's uh, available on Amazon also. Uh, and and by the way, if one day someone see the book in uh, in a bookshop, I would be happy uh, if uh, that person take a picture of the book in the bookshop and and send it to me because I would be really happy to to see my book in a real bookshop. Now the. the the bookshops have sort of been been uh, going extinct, right? But uh, that would be cool. Uh, you've also got a blog that's really helpful, apihandyman.io, uh, and you seem like you're active there. Any other 
any other resources you want to call out for people? Uh, yes, two. Uh, there is the uh, API Developer Weekly Newsletter, which is managed by uh, James Higginbotham and uh, Keith Casey. Uh, if you want to know what is happening in the uh, API space, uh, you can uh, re register to, to this newsletter. And there is also another website for people who are interested in attending to uh, API events. Uh, it's simply called apievents.com. It's, um, it's not apievents.com. It's, I have to find the link. It's managed by um, Matthew Reinbold. Uh, well, I, I send you the link. I, I just need to find it. Uh, but so it's a list of uh, every upcoming. I'll definitely event. add the link. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, at all. Uh, it's yeah, web. It it's like... web. Webapi.events. Ah, okay. okay. WebAPI.events. I've seen that site, and it's cool to see all the different API stuff going on. Um, yeah. Well, thanks so much for contributing to to all the resources here. You've you've been a huge pillar in the community here with your sites as, and tools, as well now as this book. So, thank you for that, and uh, thank thank you also for coming on to this podcast. And thank you for inviting me and for reading the book. Uh, so. Uh I, I was really happy to do uh, to do this podcast and uh, and look forward to uh, people who will read the book thanks to this podcast and I'm 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 open to feedback and uh, if you uh, if you like the book the book or if you didn't like it you're free to uh, post your reviews uh, everywhere uh, and if you don't like it. Uh, really, really say it, but explain why. Well, I'm sure people will like it. I mean, in my experience, people are hungry for this information, and and especially this this focus on design and usability and and so forth is right right on target for what technical writers uh, would be interested in. So I'm sure it'll be great. Okay, all right. Hey. Well, thank you. Thanks, Arno. And we'll wrap this Thank up. Thank you.